0: Father, we um, just thank you once again for the opportunity to celebrate life in Christ together. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your truth that guides us uh, and teaches us through this life. And we pray, Lord God, that you would teach us again this morning. Lord, um, you have laid things on my heart. You have taught me through your word. um, And words have been prepared. But Lord, I give you the right to to um, uh, change my words as you wish. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through uh, this message this morning. Um, Lord, I just uh, thank you for this opportunity. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> well, you had an extra hour last night. Hallelujah. <laughs> I wonder how it was spent. I was I would found myself at Walmart, grabbing something at eleven o'clock, and and um, saw a friend of ours uh, walking into Walmart. And uh, as I was pulling out, I rolled my window down and I said, "You is this how you you're going to spend your extra hour at Walmart?" You know we were joking, and then I realized, wait, I'm at Walmart. <laughs> you know, for parents of young children which most of us have been or some of us still are it's really kind of exciting it's like wow it's midnight but it's not it's actually 11 p.m. you know what are we going to do you know or it's 1 a.m. but oh don't worry it's actually just midnight but then what happens is at five thirty in the morning you're like why are the kids awake you know there's that hour of sleep really doesn't happen because the kids just get up earlier by the clock than they did the morning before well we're coming to the last verses of the book of James, James five nineteen through 20 and even though I put our passage up on the screen just so that we all have a common um, version that we're reading from things I still encourage you bring your Bibles, open your Bibles read along, mark in your Bibles And um, I don't know if we've been in James for six months or not. Um, You know, to quote from uh, the character Treebeard from Tolkien's uh, Two Towers, he said, anything that is worth saying is worth taking a long time to say it. And that's certainly my philosophy, I guess. So we had an extra hour and we look back at it and we wonder, how did I spend it? James has some closing words. And it's significant how he chose to spend those closing words. And it speaks to us about James' heart and his purpose for his letter that he wrote. We read in James 5, 19-20, My brothers if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins now this comes in chapter 5 which we have titled chapter 5 if you will as we've walked through these marks you guys probably say this off the top of your head these marks of a maturing follower of Christ that we learn from chapter 5, that a maturing follower of Christ places his hope in Christ. At this point in his letter, James is writing to specific circumstances in which his readers found themselves. It's as if, if you could picture it, if the people that were reading James' letter were sitting before him in a crowd like this, and he were asking, is anyone suffering? And the majority of them would raise their hands. And he'd say, take it to God in prayer. And then he'd ask, is anyone cheerful? And some would raise their hands. And he would say, take that to God in praise. And then he would say, is anybody sick? And someone would raise their hands. And he says, have the, the elders come and pray for you. That you might be healed. Or, and, and especially if there's in some sort of sin wrapped up in that. That, you, that they're going to be the ones that, that stand before the Lord... To help you search your heart. To work through that. So have them come to you. To help them to pray for you. And then in this final question. He might ask. Is anybody wandered from the truth? And it would be cricket chirp. Cricket chirp. Cricket chirp. Because the idea is. They are not listening. They have wandered off. So James turns the attention to the believers that would be reading this letter, challenging them to place their hope in Christ as they are watching what seems like their brothers and sisters wandering away from the truth. We see here James's heart revealed in his summary in that it deals with a big reason for his writing his letter. He's very concerned for the plight of those who are wandering from the truth or those who are tempted to wander from the truth. We've seen throughout his letter a concern that the truth might not be compromised. The trials we face are prime opportunities to leave the truth of God's word. They're, they open people up to doubt God's love, to doubt God's sovereignty, to doubt God's purpose for their life. They're, the trials that we face are also prime opportunities for the church to shy away from the truth. Maybe out of fear for finances. You know, we'll draw more people if we'll just water things down. Or out of fear for, of political pressure. You know, it still is that right now in Canada, I would not be able to preach any statements of scripture on homosexuality. For fear of being thrown in prison. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact I expect that before I'm done as a preacher. That will be the case in the United States. The big idea is very simple this morning. Because James is kind of just presenting a big idea. And that is bringing someone back to the truth is really important. Bringing someone back to the truth is really important. James' desire was pretty clear in these verses. The only main verse in these two verses is this, let him know. And the him here is the person who he describes as bringing someone back. The person that brings that person back to the truth, let that person know that this is important. The idea of absolute truth is not popular for one to talk about these days. We won't have time to prove the existence of absolute truth in our message this morning. But we're going to look at what James has to say about the importance of truth. And that's our first point that we're looking at this morning. The importance of truth. Not the importance of tradition. Not the importance of the local church body necessarily. Not the importance of your soapbox or my soapbox. The importance of the truth. It is important that we do not wander from the truth that God has revealed about his son and our life with him. It's it's what James is communicating. Now, through pop culture and academia, we are seeing a total onslaught of undermining the Bible as absolute truth. What's more, there's been an attempt to undermine the existence of absolute truth at all. Meaning, the, the idea that absolute truth exists. Man is always looking for the opportunity to be his own authority. Those who teach that absolute truth does not exist... are promoting their own freedom to be God for themselves... And I'm always amazed amazed at how absolutely sure they are that there is no absolute truth. Showing that their premise cannot be lived by in the first place. But the strategy began first with our first forefather and his wife. In the garden when the serpent asked them, did God really say and what this this reveals to us from the very beginning of time is that there's only two voices to listen to there's the voice of the creator of the universe and there's the voice of his fallen servant who's been called the ruler of this world alone the ruler of this world it's significant that our Lord when it's described when Christ is described as having been tempted in the wilderness by the enemy that the first temptation had to do with bread and the temptations always centered around were what the tempter was saying were were those things true but it's significant that the Lord's response was man shall not live by bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of God As if to say, not from you. And it was a statement there of, this is who I will listen to. There's only two voices, really. So first, we're looking at here in a sub-point here, the, the danger of rejecting the gospel. Of course, for followers of Christ, the gospel is a vital truth of our relationship with God. Just look at some statements of Jesus about what is truly true. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is true, this is true truth. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Goes on in John 5 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. I've shared the importance of gospel truths in the form of a gospel acronym. and You'll have to bear with me. This is a carryover from 13 years of youth ministry, of using acronyms and things like that and latching on to things that were helpful. I still find this to be helpful. I believe it's on the back of your bulletin as well. But you could describe the gospel in this way, in this fact that God created us to be in relationship with him. But our sin separates us from God. And sin cannot be made up for by good deeds. Because everything that we do is still laced with that sin. Still laced with those sinful motivations. Still comes from a sinful heart. But yet paying the price for sin. Christ died and rose again. By his life, his death, and his resurrection. Made a way that that sin could be removed from between us and God and everyone who believes and trusts in Christ for their salvation has eternal life has that relationship with God that life that's eternal that begins now and lasts forever that's the gospel in a nutshell James has written much about the fruit that should be coming from this gospel relationship with Christ. And that's been much of his focus. And, and as we're talking about the truth that James is speaking of. We should reference back the, the ideas that James was communicating. The, the, uh, a lot of the truth that he was pointing to. And James was speaking a lot toward the danger of a fruitless life. James has been hitting on some important truths that deal with living a life that pleases the Lord. Any of these truths would be ones that he's concerned about his readers wandering from. Many of the truths that James explains over the course of his letter have had to do with the person's behavior in response to God's grace. You might remember from James 1.22, he said, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He said in James 2.26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. These teachings as well as others that he, he shared with us over the course of his letter were addressing James' concern about his readers' beliefs. He was concerned about them drifting from the truth by thinking that their behavior didn't matter, that it was somehow disconnected from their beliefs. And this was a major aspect of why James was dealing with what he was. So when James writes of those who might wander, he's using a term that means to move about without purpose. To stray from the truth. To become deceived or deluded in our thinking. You know, when I uh, drink coffee, um, especially if I'm like at a men's Bible study or or something like that <clears throat> I'll, I'll pour the cup of coffee I'll see and I'll see you cannot see through this pot of coffee which is usually my test of how strong it is and I'll, I'll take my cup over and I'll put some water in it and I'll take it over and I'll dump some creamer in it take a couple packets of sugar put sugar in it You know. and I've had men kind of standing there watching me and they'll say that's not even coffee anymore You know what? I'm like, I know. (laughs) I believe that we start to drift away from the truth of whether it be the gospel or the outgrowths of our gospel relationship with God when we add to it ideas that are not from God's word. Ken Ham has warned of the danger of this in our young people in his book Already Gone. In it he says most young people are going to walk away from their faith who, let me say most young people who are going to walk away from their faith have already walked away in their heart before graduating from high school what they are believing while still in the church is often a mixture of the Bible and compromise. And we certainly see this as we talked about Christian Smith's research out of Notre Dame, um, out of, off of a Lilly endowment, took um, two plus years to study the religious lives of American teenagers. And what he found was the predominant theological view of evangelical students ...was what we've talked about before... ...was not biblical Christianity... ...but was actually moralistic... ...therapeutic deism. It was a watered down... ...view of God, if you will. A major way... ...that we as a church... ...seek to help people... ...keep from wandering from the truth... ...is teaching the word... ...without compromise. To value the authority... ...of the scriptures as an ingredient that we will have in everything that we do as our authority for life from here from the pulpit you'll hear this from from Glenn as he preaches over the next three weeks in our Sunday school classes as a part of the youth ministry this is why I am pleased that Rod is, is, is teaching in the youth ministry because I know he is someone that holds to the truth of scripture as his authority But James' points then to what is waiting for the person who wanders from the truth and does not turn back. And I describe this as the ugliness of the downward spiral. He says that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The point that James is making here is that he's laying out the fact that a life that is not centered on God's truth brings death. Now the question that comes from many people's minds upon reading these verses is one of, is James describing a person who has trusted Christ and now walked away from their faith and needs then to be saved again? James is intentionally vague here. On the condition of the person's soul. I don't know if you noticed that. But he's intentionally vague. But let me take this opportunity to establish something once again. The passage here is not talking about a person who has trusted Christ as his savior. Has the Holy Spirit indwelling him or her. Walks then away from the truth of the gospel. And thus loses his or her salvation. That is not what this passage is describing. The reason for that being. It would be contradictory. To much more clearer teaching. That we have for instance from Ephesians one, thirteen through 14. Where Paul writes of the believer. Saying in him you also. When you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Paul is here describing theologically. The process of a person. Receiving Christ as their savior. When you heard the the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, being Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. That to the praise of his glory is significant. It's not to the praise of your ability to stay in your relationship with God. The fact that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit... By the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance to the come... Is to the praise of His glory. Can a person appear to have believed in Christ as his or her Savior... And not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them? Yes. This is why I look to Romans 8.16 for me as a key verse... On the assurance of salvation. That is that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God it's not going to church bears witness that we are children of God it's not I've memorized all the verses I needed to it's not I prayed a prayer when I was a child and that it bears witness that I am a child of God it's the Holy Spirit the Spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are children of God it boils down to is the Holy Spirit indwelling the person and that usually is shown by fruit of the Spirit so can a person disavowing Christ as Savior can a person's disavowing as Christ as their Savior indicate that they were never truly saved I would say yes but that's not like some sort of litmus test James again is very vague here because um, we cannot see into someone's heart to know for sure when they've claimed Christ as their Savior and yet at some point in their life, they walk away from that. We don't know what God's doing on the inside there. And I think we need to have somewhat of the same vagueness about whether they truly know Christ or not. So that's kind of a side note this morning. But so James speaks in general terms, but he is concerned nonetheless. And this leads us to this idea that sin brings death. This is part of the ugliness of the downward spiral of sin, that sin brings death, he says. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, James James still says. James has warned us time and again of the danger of allowing sin and the death that it brings. When explaining the truth of the fact that God does not tempt, thinking back to James chapter 1, he explains that God is not tempting the person to sin, He makes this explanation in verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you recall, when we talked of these verses, we discussed how death is a separation. Physical death is the spirit's separation from the body. You can tell that when you see someone pass. You know something is left. They have left. Spiritual death is the spirit's separation from God. Eternal death is a person's eternal separation from God. Sin also brings death. To relationships, it brings separation. To relationships, it brings separation between us and our ultimate purpose for life. Last week, we learned about how some in, that James wrote to were separated from their health because of sin in their life. So sin brings death. The statement means. The same thing whether it is the danger of eternal separation from God. Because the Holy Spirit has never indwelled the person. Or if he is in danger of ruining his life on earth and his relationships. Or if the believer is in danger of sinning to the point that God might take them out of this world. The statement means the same thing. To bring a wandering sinner back saves him from death. James also points to the fact that wandering brings more sin. He says whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will cover a multitude of sins. This is what he's alluding to. This idea of, and we'll look back at this this in our final point on what is meant by a covering of sin. But this idea that when someone is wandering, James is pointing to this idea that sin is heaping up. Part of why sin heaps up in a life for the wanderer is because he becomes more and more blind to the truth. This idea also flows out of the fact that the wanderer, to, to wander means to be deceived. Romans 1 outlines a sad progression for a person who refuses to honor God with his life. And as well, it lines that out for cultures as well that refuse to honor God. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul goes on to describe how God can actually give someone over to their depraved mind. So that they move further and further. As they move further and further away from him in their actions. They're actually moving further and further away from being able to return by right thinking. Ephesians 4 discusses the type of person that a follower of Christ should be. In sharp contrast with someone who is completely distanced from God in, in verses 18 through 19 it says they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness their hardness of heart they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity Romans 8 also contrasts The follower of Christ, with the person who is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and he contrasts it, saying it this way. And notice how how Paul again is saying the dividing line between the person who has a relationship with God and the person that does not is is the Spirit dwelling within them. Notice what he says here: for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So this is all pointing, these other passages are reinforcing this idea that wandering not only brings more sin, but but as sin piles up on the person that's wandering from the truth, they lo- are losing, outside of God's grace and mercy, they're losing the ability to even find their way back. And this is part of the danger that James is pointing to here. Um, I had a, I have a friend in in Rapid City and he's uh, <clears throat> I I think he still is but I know he was an active member of the search and rescue team which is important in out in the wilderness of um bad area and things and he was sharing with me kind of you know we'd talk about different fascinating things part of it and stuff if you know me I and to ask a lot of questions about stuff and get fascinated by stuff. And he was sharing with me, and he said, one indication that you will know that if you you are hiking in the wilderness and you came across someone who is seriously lost, one indication that will point that out is that they will be naked. He says, and it doesn't take very long, I mean, especially in our urbanized culture and stuff, That when you're like every tree looks the same And you start to freak out The person will get to the point where they they Very quickly can lose their head So fast that they'll just strip off all their clothes And be like I don't know what to do He says you'll know someone that's seriously Lost in the wilderness because they're wandering around Naked (laughs) Yeah So don't hike in the black hills (laughs) Or don't get lost he said it's, what's amazing is to lead them to safety all you really have to do is just walk up and take their wrist and just lead them out and they will just follow they, he said it doesn't do any good to talk to them and they won't resist you just grab them by the hand and just lead them out and that's the state of lostness in the wilderness that he described The person wandering from the truth, James describes them as being in a downward spiral. They need to be prayed for. They need to be challenged. They need to be loved unconditionally. The best way to guide your interaction with a person in this situation is to ask yourself, how would God treat me? So often, someone in this situation, whether they be a believer or an unbeliever, in Christ, so often the person in this situation, you might be their only picture of what God is like, and I just encourage you to ask yourself the question, "How would God treat me?" And we hear those stories we hear we hear of the person that that all they had in their life was a Christian grandmother or a Christian grandfather, and when it came to a pla- when they came to a place of giving their life to Christ, they will say that person was just a picture of God to me. And you play an important role in that person's life. So it becomes clear to me why James calls for believers to go and bring back the person who has wandered. Sadly, James seemed to recognize that his, la- his letter is not going to be effective for them. They may not even read it. I think that it's significant though that James directs those who have relationships with those people. He says bring them back. This is just part of the beauty of repentance that we move in here in our third principle from this passage this morning. He says whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is pointing to the wonderful work that is done when we are part of the wanderer coming back to the truth. Let's remember though that these verses come in the context of the importance of powerful prayer. Okay? And this is about us placing our hope in Christ. Don't take these verses to say it's all up to you. It's all up to what you say. It's all up to what you do. That's, not, that's taking this out of context here. The first work that has on James' mind with regard to those who have wandered from the truth is prayer. While in the previous passage, James talked about a ministry of the elders of the church, notice these statements are for all followers of Christ. Um, you know, I, I appreciate um <clears throat> i appreciate when someone comes to me and says hey have you noticed so and so they haven't been around for a while or something like that but a lot of times you know i'm i'm in contact with people and things like that um but i will say yeah and they need people to contact them you know this is not about this is not a word to the pastor the pastor's saying let them you know My job is let you know how important this is, okay? And this is to everyone reading this letter. So, uh, if you'll notice here, when James makes these statements, the same word is used here when someone bringing someone back here is described. The idea here is that the person is brought back to what the truth. They're brought back to the truth. Not simply brought back to church. Not simply brought back into relationship with you. It's the truth that matters. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of an, our need for repentance. It's the truth of what God desires. It's the truth of what a life with God can look like. It's the truth of what it can look like to have purpose in our life that that expands beyond the years that we spend in this physical life on this earth. They're confronted, they're to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. We do a grave disservice if we sit, if someone sits among us wandering from the truth and they don't realize it. It's why I have the responsibility to preach the full counsel of God's word. Um, and I have a wife that will let me know if I don't. Which is great. It's also why you have the responsibility. To get to know each other. And to minister to each other. You know. The, the cap. Of a. Um, of one pastor. And a church. The The cap of the number of people that that pastor can know and, and work with on a surface level is 150. And that's where we're at. The number of people that a person can significantly disciple at any given time is 10. That's max. So what does that tell you? And, and that's what makes me thankful that the heart of harvest... Is about the body doing the work of the ministry. And James reinforces this here. Speaking to the individual readers. Bring them back. Um, Whether this person. Who truly has a relationship with God. Whether they truly have a relationship with God. Or not. Our tool is the same. It is the gospel. We cannot know a person's heart. Even if a person has a saving relationship with God if they've wandered from the truth, the gospel is the message of the destructiveness of sin and the grace and love of God and the effectiveness of the work of Christ that they need to be reminded of. So just looking at this under the beauty of repentance, let's look at what does it mean to be confronting a wanderer. James 6.1 is an excellent passage here to this verse. It's a parallel passage uh, to this verse where, where Paul writes... My brothers, if anyone... Oh, no, that's not it. Sorry. There we go. Brothers. It's interesting. starts out the same way. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice again, Paul could have said, get the elders. Get the pastor. No, he doesn't. You who have a mind for this. You who can do this in gentleness. You who can do this and not fall under pride yourself. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The difference here is that Paul is speaking more specifically about a person bound by sin, whereas James is talking about a person wandering um, more generally. Paul offers wise details that we should add to the broad strokes that James paints with here. We see in Galatians 6 the need to watch ourselves as we confront another. The danger of pride and of being judgmental are very real in these situations of confrontation. As a side note, both James and Paul can cause us to think that we are responsible to make someone change. This is not the case. God never sets a goal for us that is dependent on someone else's response. And you should never set a goal for yourself that is dependent on someone else's response. Our job is to be faithful to love, to be faithful to to show grace, to be faithful to share the truth. Jude also lends some helpful insight into this issue of confronting a fellow believer. In Jude 21 through 23, there's only one chapter in Jude. It says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by the flesh. We see here that there's a number of ways here to deal with each other. And we should prayerfully search out how God would want us to approach one another. Those who doubt need mercy. Some need to be snatched out of the fire. Maybe they're unbelieving, maybe not. There's the same uncertainty here. Notice in Jude. Jude also doesn't claim to know the person's heart and their and their specific relationship with the Lord. To others, probably struggling with sin, he says, show mercy. But Jude gives the same warning as Paul, keep a watch on yourself. Hating, he says, he describes it as hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jesus himself gave instruction about how to confront a brother or sister. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This teaching is used by many to guide a process of confrontation within the church. This morning, isn't, we're not intending here to, to have, this isn't a message of discipline within the church or anything like that. I simply want to point out that J, Jesus lays out a process that starts with individual, loving confrontation. And he doesn't say, if someone sins against you, go talk to ten people about it, and then go talk to them. Right? Right? As well, notice the contrast with the idea that we have responsibility to, s- to save or to change someone else. Jesus includes very much the possibility of them not changing at all. Consider this as well. The final step of treating someone as an unbeliever is out of love for them. There's a danger in giving someone a false assurance that they know Christ as their Savior. Um, speaking of church discipline, um, I, hope, I do hope that today's passage is better to understand it. Um, so often the subject is treated as something that we should fear. According to James, being confronted by loving brothers and sisters is a safeguard for us. It's something I'm grateful for. It's something that I hope... You will follow with me. If you should see me. Wandering from the truth. I think that James is challenging us also to have people in our lives that hold us accountable. If we should start to wander from the truth. This brings us to this idea that he has in this of covering the wanderers. Or covering. Here we go. Covering the wanderers sins. James is addressing loving the person with grace. And and staying away from the slander that he has warned us of. So a lot of people are going to read this. And they think of an Old Testament idea of. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Atonement. Of our sins being covered by God. But that. I don't believe that that's what James is referring to. James is referring to the relationship between the person who's confronting the wanderer and the wanderer, because he's quoting from Proverbs 10:12, and Proverbs 10:12 says this: He says, "Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses." And his contemporary Peter writes in 1 Peter 4:8, and and uses the same proverb in the same way. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So when James talks about the whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will cover a multitude of sins, he's saying, That we should always be prepared to bring people back into the community of God's grace. That's what we are. We're a community of people walking in God's grace. That we are so grateful that God is not looking at our sins. We have been covered by Christ. We should always be ready to bring the wanderer back into the community of God's grace. If your response is slander or bitterness... It only shows how little you understand God's grace. And this brings us to um, where we're going to be remembering our Savior. What a wonderful morning to be celebrating communion because we're going to be reminded of the truth that we are not to be wandering from as we celebrate communion. Um, And I want to invite the servers To prepare for that. And they can go ahead and start passing out the the elements for communion this morning. Um, And they'll be doing that. And I just want to speak to a few potential... um, Well, I think we can all fit into these categories. Of ifs here. If you are tempted to wander into sin, what does the body and blood of Christ say to us in that situation? It tells us that we need to know that Jesus Christ broke his body and spilt his blood to pay for our sins. And our sins are so destructive that it took the sacrifice of the very Son of God to pay for them. And to carelessly and knowingly dive into sin is to despise the work of Christ for us. When we're tempted to wander into doubt, we need to know that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was an event that is undisputed to have happened. His life, his claim, his credentials, and his death and resurrection are sure. They are tested by the most historically accurate body of literature that has ever existed. In fact, the body, the Bible blows the tests for historical literature so out of the water that if it were the standard, we would not be able to claim certainty of any other history. And if you know a wanderer from the truth, what does the body and blood of Christ? say to you this morning if if you're concerned maybe 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 you're struggling with bitterness toward that person with remembering Christ's death recall that he has covered all of your sins and you don't have any right to think that you are any better than someone who is struggling also remember that Christ died for the sins of the wanderer as well Any way that they have harmed us, harmed me, any way that a person has harmed you, was paid for at the cross. And we can feel free to let love cover their sins. And we need to let God's love become our love and let that love cover their sins. So let's just take some time to reflect on this. Um as we have the elements being passed out. tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this wine is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. He said, do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. you for your grace. Thank you so much for the truth that even when we wander from such amazing grace, you can remind us that it's part of why it's called grace. Lord, we thank you for the reminder, though, that, that to wander from you is to wander from something wonderful, into something destructive. Lord, I thank you for keeping us and and moving us through this book of James. I pray, Lord God, that the truths uh, that are in it would continue to resonate in our hearts and our minds. Don't let us leave the book of James without being changed, Lord. Don't let us just put it off to put on another study. Strengthen us against wandering from the truth, Father, I pray. And help us to strengthen one another. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.